This is Livable Income Vancouver, the podcast dedicated to bringing together the voices of the feminist, racial equality, and anti-poverty movements to the campaign for a guaranteed livable income. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Livable Income Vancouver podcast. My name is Shauna Barker and I'm here with two other members of Livable Income Vancouver, my sister Megan Barker and Kathleen Piovison. Um, We feel like this is a very uh, timely issue to be putting out our first podcast just um, with the current situation uh, that we're all in because of the pandemic. A lot of people are out of work um, and the Canadian government has uh, stepped up and agreed to support a lot of um, businesses and individuals um, with different economic incentives. So we're going to be talking about that um, as well as what a guaranteed livable income is and how um, there may still be gaps with the Canadian government's uh, economic support during this pandemic. Um, So right now we will introduce what Livable Income Vancouver is. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Shauna. Um, This is Kathleen. And um, so Livable Income Vancouver is a group that has been around for a few years already. Um, We've been advocating for what we call a guaranteed livable income, an income guaranteed to all, which is set at a rate that meets the cost of living. So our group believes that everyone has the right to live without the fear of poverty, and that a guaranteed livable income has the potential to make this a reality in our society. Um, We would like to see a non-taxable guaranteed livable income replace our current uh, deterring and and impoverishing welfare system, uh, reduce inequality in the labor market and not leave anyone worse off. So we'd like to see a guaranteed livable income and also very robust public programs. Great. Um, So that's an introduction to our group, Livable Income Vancouver. Um, We're all just volunteers. Um, There's about how many of us? Like eight, maybe? Eight or so. Yeah. 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 Looking for more. Yeah. (laughs) Always looking for more. more. Um, So I thought now we could introduce ourselves. individually and why we're interested in this topic. Megan, did you want to start? Yeah, so for Shauna and I, having our mother as a longtime advocate for a guaranteed livable income, that was of course how we first got involved with the movement. She started a volunteer group called Livable for All over 20 years ago. And I think so much of why I support this idea is in the name itself, livable for all, because I believe it would help create a world that is more livable for all people um, because of the system we've created, which relies on having money in order to access basic necessities to live. I see a GLI as a basic human right that every individual should have the right to live a life with health and dignity and explore their opportunities 
without the threat of living in poverty. I also think that our current system fails to recognize all the unpaid work that women and caregivers do, such as raising children, even though this is something that our economy relies on and benefits from so much. And it would also protect people from ending up in poverty as more and more jobs are getting automated. There's so many reasons why I support this movement, but I think that's why a guaranteed livable income was urgently needed before this pandemic. And now that we're actually living through a global crisis, it's proving even more so how important it is for this to be implemented now. Yeah, and just to add on to what Megan said, we were brought up with an activist mother who was very involved with all of these social issues. So we were introduced to the idea um, very early on. For me, I see that people who work full time, you know, sometimes even more than 40 hours a week, still can't afford basic necessities, especially here in Vancouver. So I feel like there is something inherently wrong with our current economic system. There are quite a few issues I feel would benefit from having a GLI, one of them being a shift to a less environmentally taxing workforce. Right now, we sort of view a country's um, GDP, like their growth and economic success, without taking into consideration the environmental costs. So I just feel like um, the economy shouldn't outweigh environmental protection. And maybe a GLI can help people say no to these environmentally destructive jobs and perhaps allow for more flexibility to shift to something creative or even help with the transition into um, a green economy. One thing I think maybe this uh, pandemic is showing people right now is how much of their work can be done online from home. So that's something interesting um, to s- that we'll see like the outcome of. Maybe some people will continue to stay working from home more and... I could see um, the potential there for less uh, pollution from less people having to drive to work every day. And yeah, another issue that I'm really passionate about would be the potential health benefits of if a GLI was implemented. So people right now are having to worry so much about money and If they didn't have to worry so much, that would reduce their stress levels and perhaps allow for more resources for them to eat healthier. Um, As a nutritionist, of course, like that's where my mind is going to go. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to spend a whole episode on uh, the health outcomes of a GLI um, in the future, but I just wanted to bring that up now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I came to the idea um, through a feminist lens. I worked um, many years in, in a battered women's shelter. And so I saw a lot of the consequences 
of violence against women, including um, economic consequences on women, and uh, accompanied a lot of women in the welfare office and just seeing how difficult that bureaucracy is to navigate and how punishing it can be. And that's that's where I came, first of all, to the idea of a guaranteed livable income. For a lot of women, they are experiencing discrimination in the labor market. You know, we've seen a lot of news in the last couple of years about sexual harassment. There's also still ongoing wage gap and under other forms of gender discrimination. Then, um, you know, if women are kind of pushed to depending more on men in their relationships for income, that's also a very dangerous situation for women. And it can be kind of a trap where then money can be used against them coercively and women leave those situations, they often end up impoverished. And so our current welfare system isn't really offering much of an alternative to unfairness in the labor market, unfairness in relationships. And so women are kind of getting stuck in those conditions. Um, and so for my approach, I'm seeing that uh, a guaranteed livable income could offer this genuine alternative to women. It wouldn't resolve all of those issues, but it would give women the chance to refuse work and relationships that are fundamentally damaging to them and, and give, just really enhance the equality of women in our society. So that's kind of my approach, although I'm really in agreement with everything that you've said, both of you have said so far as well, in terms of the other shifts that it can make in our economy, in terms of jobs. Yeah, all those things. Great. Um, and when you were explaining uh, livable income Vancouver and what we do, you did touch on what a guaranteed livable income was. Um, so we did also want to uh, go into that a little bit more and kind of uh, go over what some of the other names are, just in case people see, like, you know, UBI is used a lot. So, um that stands yeah. for universal basic income and yeah did you want to go into that Megan there's yeah there's just so many different names um, out there so there's guaranteed livable income uh, basic income universal basic income mm -hmm. um, most recently like with Andrew Yang running for president he's out of the race now but he was running on the platform of a basic income but he was calling it the freedom dividend um, so there's that one. Um, am I missing any others? Guaranteed, guaranteed annual income. Guaranteed so, annual income. Um, or income or yeah, and I mean, they all essentially mean the same thing, but I think um, there is importance when it comes to wording. Like I think as our group all agreed when we were choosing the name, uh, the word livable is really important to us um, because I think basic can really miss a lot of the um, other issues and just um, like we really want to focus on making sure that it's livable for everyone and not just like barely get by. Yes, definitely. Even though basic income does seem to be the more popular name now, like I think most people know it as basic income, mm -hmm. which is why like we still use that wording just for the sake of like what's going to reach people and what people are familiar with. Um, but yeah, I think that having the, the word livable in there is quite important as well. Yeah, definitely. And just to add, like this isn't a new um, 
topic. So in 1967, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says the solution to poverty is to abolish it directly by a now widely discussed measure, the guaranteed income. So like people have been talking about this um, for decades. Yeah. 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 And and I think too, that we see that there's the potential for some forms of a basic income to be harmful. If they are set too low, then they could end up just continuing the exact same set of relationships that we were talking about as being a problem because people still Mm -hmm. have to depend either on unfair or not well-paid work uh, to top up that income or people who are living with a disability or otherwise unable to work for some reason won't have enough to live on and women could still be in the same situation of being trapped in abusive relationships or other sorts of uh, discriminatory situations that they wouldn't have relief from. So if we don't kind of keep that concept of livable, then we could end up with just a very small top up and essentially, and and that wouldn't resolve any of the problems. Yeah, I feel like it almost comes down to freedom and like what is going to give people true freedom or not. And if people don't have that uh, access to money and to be able to say no to like exploitive jobs, um, it really does, you know, take away their freedom of choice. And I think, yeah, I think you're totally right about if it's just basic and it's trying to keep people trapped in that bubble mm-hmm. of not really being able to make the decisions that they want to make, um, then it really would be missing the point of like the universal li- li- livable income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, Megan, just to go back to Andrew Yang, um, I liked sort of like the topics he would bring up about this. Um, So he was promoting a freedom dividend. I think he wanted to give $1,000 a month Mm -hmm. to every American, um, 18 and over. And so his thing was talking about um, job automation. So how many jobs are going to be replaced in the next few years uh and then what megan you mentioned already was like the unpaid work that Mm -hmm. a lot of women do um raising children and he also did bring up i mean we're we're probably going to do an episode on like the myths and uh common like criticisms of uh, gli and concerns surrounding it and how we would pay for it um but his thing was um, how a lot of like the billion dollar companies like Amazon aren't paying taxes. So how we could just kind of rearrange um, the taxing system so that there is this extra money that can go to people to help them uh, like pay for necessities. Mm hmm. Yeah, I also like, because a lot of the times uh, the pushback I hear um, when people think of like a basic income is that it's communism and that it's going to stop people from being able to fully reach their potential. Mm -hmm. And people are seeing it as a a roof, like a limit. Whereas, and I think Andrew Yang explains it this way too, that it's not a roof, but it's a floor. 
it gives everyone a floor to stand on and to build something on, but you mm-hmm. can still like work as much as you want, start your own business, do all the things that you want to do and like still reach as high as you want to reach. Um, but it's just at least giving people that floor and mm-hmm. yeah, that thing as well that I really like that Andrew Yang um, would describe it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I actually have, uh, I'm on his website right now <laughs> and actually like one of his, on his FAQ page is like, isn't this communism slash socialism? Um, so I can read the answer if you mm-hmm. like. Um, so no, communism is by definition a revolutionary movement to create a classless, moneyless and stateless social order built upon shared ownership of production. And then with socialism, the core principle is the nationalization of the means of production, i.e. the government seizes Amazon and Google. So the freedom dividend, which is his version of a guaranteed livable income, represents neither of these concepts and actually fits seamlessly into capitalism. It is projected to boost the economy by 2.5 trillion in eight years. Really, the universal basic income is necessary for the continuation of capitalism through the wave of automation and worker displacement. Um, Markets need consumers to sell things to. UBI is capitalism with a floor that people cannot fall beneath. So exactly what you were just talking about, Megan. And I think that's why we're seeing now um, the states talking about implementing that and even here it's because they know the economy will collapse if people don't have money in their pockets to spend. And I mean, not to mention just like survive and not go into like full on crisis, riot, like things could right. get really ugly if people mm-hmm. don't feel like they're being supported. So there there can be some dangers in the, the perspective too. Like I, I would tend to take the perspective um, that we should question a lot of what happens in capitalism generally, and that we mm-hmm. could also use a guaranteed livable income to create an economy that is much more under a common control. I'm not arguing particularly for socialism or communism, but rather mm-hmm. to say that when we look at the environmental degradation of capitalism, when we look at the exploitation of capitalism, when we look at the different tiers in our labor market, or when we look mm-hmm. globally at the different tiers in the global economy and those who, those areas, nations, people that benefit the most versus those that are highly exploited in capitalism, we definitely mm-hmm. have a fundamental deficit in running an ongoing capitalist system in the way that we are. We are eating up resources at a pace mm-hmm. that is totally unsustainable. And in fact, we're eating up people in a way that is unsustainable if we think that we, what we want is a truly just society. So I hope also to use the conversation around a guaranteed livable income to start to talk about things like, why, how did our capitalist system get to be so fundamentally exploitative? What is the kind of economy that supports the best of human potential for all people, as well as the end of the exploitation of the earth. And how do we create an economy that supports a genuine substantive equality on the basis of race, class, and sex, so that we are not uh, ongoingly 
we're not creating an economy that is dependent on that form of exploitation. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I feel like this doesn't have to fit into like one of our set categories already. Like this should be like a new like economic system um, that, that, takes into account all of the things that you just mentioned for sure and it's kind of like a good transition to um to like what you just mentioned without flipping the entire system upside down which I do there's that other aspect like oh we should get rid of money altogether you hear some people saying or just like end capitalism completely But when things like that happen, it's like the people who do end up suffering in the in those crises is like poor people or people with disabilities or people who don't um, have the same advantages as some of the people who are saying, oh, let's just flip the whole thing upside down. So Mm -hmm. this is actually like a safe transition to what you mentioned, a more just economy. and yeah, without it being so drastic and dangerous to the people who are the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we did want to talk about what's going on right now in terms of the pandemic mm-hmm. and how many people are out of work. Yes. Uh, so I don't know, did, Kathleen, did you want to start um, with our thoughts well, on that? So- let me just go to the federal government website. So there's, um, you know, quite a lot has been, well, I guess just speaking about how fast societies can change <laughs> and to your previous point, Megan, we've seen a massive changes, right? In just a very short period of time, people are being laid off left, right and center. Um, some people are ending up with even greater amounts of work in some ways. And a lot of people are ending up in a fair amount of job insecurity. So, of course, this is like the pandemic is an exaggerated version of what we were experiencing before. I'm not saying that it's not it definitely is a shift, but um, we're definitely seeing much more. But there there was certainly a lot of insecurity for a lot of people before this pandemic as well. And what our federal government seems to be doing is to be focusing on that loss of jobs in their response. And so they're offering different benefits uh, that primarily through the employment insurance system, um, it seems like. So that's people who are already in the labor market and who are experiencing some loss as a result of the pandemic. I know they've expanded some of the criteria, so more people who are self-employed, contract staff, et cetera, can get the employment insurance benefits now. But, um, and that's great, I'm, I'm not, really critical of that actually, but I do think that there are a few gaps in the kinds of benefits that are being offered by the federal government at this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm also concerned to like, for like the CERB, is that what it's called, Shauna? The CERB? Um, Like that plan is for like 2000 a month for self-employed and business owners for like four months Mm -hmm. yeah Um, it does include self-employed people um but just basically it's meant to cover anyone who is not eligible for ei okay 
Yeah, yeah I do think that um, if something like that is actually implemented, like I'll believe it when I see it, um, <laughs> that it won't be taken away again. Like I hope that the government and just the people recognize that this is something that is needed during this pandemic, but also outside of this crisis as well. Like welcome to the crisis that poor people face every day, like living mm -hmm. in poverty. And that doesn't go away after this pandemic is over. And so I do hope that it's something that actually sticks longer and that people recognize that it's something that's needed long term and it was needed before this crisis even happened. Like imagine if we already had a guaranteed livable income when this hit, how different would things be? Yes. I've been yeah. talking a amount to low-income single mothers who are um, living on income assistance and they were facing an economic crisis before this pandemic and a greater economic crisis now. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Sean, yeah. I interrupted you. No, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, just to that point, like we see so many people who do have the ability to go and like stockpile food and supplies, but mm -hmm. what about the people who like, you know, just barely get by day to day? Yeah. So those they are like the most vulnerable. Um, yeah, I saw this I post. Like. Oh, sorry, Shauna. No, go ahead. Um, I, I saw this post. It was supposed to be funny, but then it was also like sad at the same time. It was mm -hmm. like, looks like it's time to go out and start panic buying. But I just checked my bank account and looks like I can only afford to panic. Oh, yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah, yeah I feel like... Um, just like one of the the main questions that comes up when people hear about a guaranteed livable income is like, well, where is the money going to come from? But mm -hmm. that's like a, another discussion, I feel like, for a whole <laughs> another episode. But um, just in terms of what's happening right now, like look at how quickly the government came up with, I don't know like the total uh, amount, but I think it's in like the billions or trillions for this um, economic plan during the pandemic. So there's money out there mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Some of the conversations I've been having are, um, you know, between like um, for for people who are extremely low income, um, especially these single mothers. I've been talking to, you know okay, so I don't want to take the bus to the grocery store, so I need to be able to find some money to put some gas in the car. Or, mm -hmm. um, But then if I do that, then I can afford to buy less at the store and just kind of, and how many trips will I have to make to get the things that I need and will they have it at the food bank? So should I pay to drive all the way to the food bank, which mm -hmm. is further from my home and, you know, with two little kids or whatever, it, it, all these kinds of very ordinary life decisions are easy when you have money to, to fund them. They're very hard to make when you don't have money to fund the most basic things. So it's it's the the fact of not being able to stock up, of not being able to maybe buy some additional learning materials for your kids when they're not going to be able to go to school or to, um, to be able to afford to have a computer at home to be able to connect to whatever is available in terms of learning or even entertainment to be able to um, go to places outside that would be fun you know all these kinds of just ordinary things that 
we think we might do as part of the comforting and, and just kind of trying to live through the crisis becomes so much harder mm -hmm. to do if you don't have the money to make those very ordinary life decisions. Mm -hmm. So exactly. Yeah. And it also puts more people at risk because if you are coming from a place of survival, like I actually need money to be able to feed my children tonight. I know we're not supposed to open for business to try to flatten the curve, but you know what? I'm going to secretly start taking clients because I need to make money. Right. And so again, if there was a basic income, perhaps we would see the curve flattening faster because people mm -hmm. would have that security to stay home and actually shut down business completely. Mm -hmm. Like I've already heard of people like secretly taking clients um, right. in public spaces because they're like, I need the money, <laughs> like yeah. I'm in survival mode, but that is literally killing people. And so, yeah, I just think like the faster that we get money into people's hands, um, the faster that we can recover from this crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I did just want to bring up um, that this has been tested before. Um, and has been implemented in other countries. And I think even <clears throat> at one point in Ontario, they were uh, piloting um, a program mm -hmm. uh, that included GLI. And yeah, just that um, people don't get lazy and they don't like not want to work anymore. So that's like one of the... Uh, questions that comes up sometimes and so we have we do have um like some of the test like results from where this was implemented and we don't see that I think um what does have the two groups that work less when a GLI is implemented is like students who stay in school longer and then like parents who stay home uh to raise their kids longer Mm. So I don't know if either of you had anything you wanted to add to that. Yeah, I just, I don't get the whole obsession and concern about like, oh, people are going to get lazy. Like, mm -hmm. let's say, sure, a few people do get lazy. Is that really the worst of like <laughs> things that we should be worrying about right now in what everything that the world is facing? Yeah. Um, I just think like, if you think about there's people out there actively causing harm and destruction and through productivity or whatever you want to call it. There's people who are going to do nothing and there's people that are going to actively do good. Why be concerned about the people doing nothing if, you know, if anything, being lazy and staying home and it's proving this right now is great mm -hmm. for the environment. <laughs> yeah. So who cares? Yeah. And then like, and then like you said, like the data just doesn't support that. People I don't mm -hmm. think are naturally wanting to just give up on all of mm -hmm. their aspirations. I think it's human nature to want to create and do and, you know, like reach your yeah. potential. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, people should have a bit more faith in humanity. And I think that it, it's always like pointing the finger at the other person like it's my neighbor that's going to be lazy but then if you ask individuals like what they would do if they had it mm -hmm. it would be like oh I would take this class or I would start this business or I would you know just take time off to spend with my family 
Yeah. Um, so I think those are all really positive things, but it is interesting to, to hear that lazy um, conversation come yeah. up all the time mm-hmm. when we have much bigger problems uh, yeah. that we should be looking at. And we're yeah. so often worried about what people who have few resources are going to do if we give them a little bit more money. And it, mm-hmm. it really shows the kind of, uh, I don't know what to say, just the biases in our society that we're overly worried about what somebody who has very little money is going to do if we give them some mm-hmm. money and not at all worried about the kinds of incentives that we offer such as through our tax system people mm-hmm. who have enough money um that we we don't we never equating those those things that we're we're giving tax rebates to people who have enough money to make those kinds of claims but we won't provide resources so people can can have some control over their lives if they're facing kind of if they're kind of at the bottom end of the income spectrum mm-hmm. um so we we have a we have a I don't know, we're we're just we're not consistent in our approach to this question. Really, we're we're inconsistent based on kind of de- decisions we make about class or race or genders, those sorts of uh, forms of discrimination in our society. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, a lot of jobs are really not that great. They're, mm-hmm. you know, if people want to refuse those jobs, they should be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, I also in you know. My work, I, I I teach in a college, and um, my students are largely international students. Many of them are working uh, with their student visas. They can work 20 hours a week. Many of them are working in really low-paid work. So they're they're coming here to study. They're hoping to immigrate in the long term to Canada. In the meantime, they're this very cheap, very captive labor market that has very few powers, very little control over the kind of conditions of their work and what they can refuse. And I've heard some really tough stories of what students are facing. And not only that, but they, you know, they don't really have enough money to to live on. And so we are, our society is getting the benefit of this really cheap labor force, and they're not getting the kind of rights of the average worker because they're in this visa situation. And we have lots of uh, work visas, various kinds of work visas that are putting people in a similar kind of position. You know, it doesn't seem reasonable to me that we'd be so worried about letting people have some more control over their lives when our society is accepting the benefits of being able to exploit this labor. And are any of those students or people who are here on working visas, is there any sort of support? Like, are they one of the ones that are falling through the cracks right now as far as, like, the government support? And, like, I don't know if they're applicable to get any of the funding during this time. I'm not sure myself if they would qualify, depending, I guess, on their work visa status, but then also the number of hours that they've worked and all those kinds of things. So I'm, I think that very likely people who are temporary foreign workers on student visas where they have a work component, um, possibly live in caregivers are Mm -hmm. facing 
other kinds of issues that are not being met by the the new plans that are coming from our federal government. I haven't heard those specific stories, but I I don't think that they're eligible because so many of their conditions of being here in the country are dependent on their work. So yeah. set up in the immigration decisions as well. Uh, so I wonder what is going to happen with them during this, like in a few more weeks when those paychecks aren't coming in. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to talk to someone who is in that situation and find out really what's going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. So um, we do have a lot that we eventually want to cover in other episodes. And we have, um, uh, we'll be having guests on in, for future episodes as well. So we're really excited about that um for now like if you do feel like this is something you're interested in um and want to support and want to have your voice um heard we do have some ideas for a call to action um because mm -hmm. this is the time really to that we can be you know calling our uh local government and writing letters um so did one of you want to kind of go over what you can do as an individual right now? Um, yeah, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is just making those phone calls, like looking up who your local MP is and contacting them directly. And if you don't get it through by phone or if you prefer email, just I think as many people as possible, they need to have their voices heard and to share their story and to share why we need an emergency basic income like as soon as possible, like now, like they need to be sending checks out to people now. Um, if we want to like overcome this crisis that we're in like faster and just to ensure that people aren't, um, you know, aren't going to be starving and panicking during this um mm -hmm. so just like yeah reaching out and just making sure that your voice is heard because if they're hearing it from everyone all different types of people in all different types of circumstances they are gonna I think you know hopefully bend to the pressure and start sending those checks out to people because money needs to be in people's hands now yeah so there is um like it's possible to write to your MP or even your MLA. There are some initiatives at the provincial level too, just to to say that, right? Like just to call for an immediate basic income, guaranteed livable income, ideally, and for now and for the future, right? Like because we know that this pandemic is likely going to come in waves. Yeah, this is not the only time we're going to experience this. Most likely. And never mind that we are facing other kinds of issues that we need to be able to respond to as a society and a guaranteed livable income can help us to do that. Yeah, yeah it's really mm -hmm. the ultimate safety net for any type of crisis that's going on, like whether it's a virus or like something with the environment or jobs being lost from automation, like we need to take care of each other and like the safety net needs to be there now. And like you said, Kathleen, like ongoing in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there template letters um, 
anywhere, like on the Basic Income Canada network or on our website um, that people can send? There is a petition going around from Basic Income Canada network. Um, it's for only a thousand a month, but it does send a letter to your MP. So uh, signing that petition, you know, I, I definitely think uh, guaranteed livable income should be higher than a thousand dollars. But yeah. if you're looking for a very easy route to put a little more pressure, mm -hmm. that is an easy route. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's available on their website um, or just you can just sign the uh, call that says I support the idea of a basic income guarantee for everyone in Canada. Okay. Good to know. And I'll also be putting up on the blog um, this week, maybe by the time this is airing and people are listening, um, if you go to our website, www.livableincomevancouver.com, I'll do a blog post of like things that you can do right now. Um, to help get the emergency livable income going. Um, and yeah. then for any future resources, we can put some on there too. And then that's also brings me to the point of um, we are looking for more volunteers. And if anyone does feel called or interested in being part of our group, we are always looking for more support. And you can sign up on our newsletter, which is on our website, or you can contact us directly um, at livableincomevancouver at gmail.com. Yeah, and I think we'll put um, all of these links in the show description, um, as well as probably the link to livableincome.org. They have some good resources and the BICN, so the Basic Income Canada Network, we can put a link up and to the um, petition um, that Kathleen mentioned. Uh, so we can put all of these resources up um, mm -hmm. if you're interested. And of course, um, email us if you have any questions. Yes. And you can sign up for updates from us too, since we're going to be kind of keeping track of what's happening because there's a lot of international conversation right now in terms of pushing for an income guarantee um, just because everybody is around the world is facing this pandemic so it it makes the issues so clear even though they're existing before this and they're going to exist mm -hmm. after this uh, just helps to make them really stark and clear so the conversation's really renewed um, mm -hmm. we're going to be keeping track of that in this next while too yeah and definitely um, subscribe to wherever you're listening to this podcast because this is the first of hopefully many more. I feel like we just are hitting the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this topic and all the reasons why we support it and um, just so much more information on a guaranteed livable income. Um, so definitely subscribe to that. And like Kathleen said, sign up to our newsletter because we'll share information there as well. Yes. So stay tuned for future episodes. Um, were there any last minute uh, thoughts that either of you wanted to share? I don't okay. think so. Just uh, make those calls. Just I yeah. really want people just like we all need to take action right now and make this happen because um, yeah. it's really risky if we don't. And we're putting ourselves, all of us are going to be at risk if we're not all taken care of. Um, I just I think we are only as strong as our weakest link 
So let's make sure that everyone is taken care of and safe during this time, especially. Yeah. Great. Well, Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.